You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. I'm your host, Brandon, and this is episode 90. And today I have Kate Tekyu with me. She is the founder of the Kombucha Shop. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brandon. So on your website, it says that you sell everything you need to brew kombucha at home. So so what is this kombucha shop business of yours? Yep. So I uh, started it just within this year, actually. So pretty young company. Yeah, it's everything that you need to brew kombucha at home. And we really, if you look on the website, don't have a ton of products yet. Uh, we really wanted to just focus on the basic essentials for somebody who is buying kombucha at the store every week or every day and wants to get started and doesn't want to spend a lot of time searching around for supplies. They can just sort of get everything one-stop shop and uh, start brewing the booch. And so you say you don't have that many uh, different products, but looking on here, it's like you still have quite, like you've got the swing top bottles. I mean, what, what all do you do you offer? So we've got what we call, you know, your basic starter kit. And that's going to have everything, a one gallon glass jar, the tea, the sugar. It comes with pH testing trips and a temperature gauge. That also comes with the cotton tea bag to put in with your, to use with the tea and a pipette straw for taste testing. And then all of your step-by-step directions. So that's your basic kit. And then we're offer what we call the deluxe kit, which is six of our glass swing top bottles plus the kit. And then we also just offer individual things from the kit. So you don't want the whole thing. So you can get just our one gallon glass jar or just our special TKS blend. Now, is your tea blend, is it some top secret <laughs> thing? Or do you know like the general basics of it? Like what are, what are people getting? Yeah, no, we I, I share it pretty openly with people. So we work with Rishi Tea based out of Milwaukee. And when I first started out, I wanted to really make sure we were only offering the highest quality ingredients possible. Because a lot of people say, you know, whatever you put into your kombucha, that's going to be there in the end. So if you use a not super high quality tea, your, your kombucha is not going to be that high quality. So I wanted to use only organic fair trade tea and was just happy and lucky enough that Rishi Tea is right here in our backyard. And so I worked with a buyer there and came up with a mix of one of their organic fair trade Ceylon teas, which is a black tea from Sri Lanka, and an oolong. So and an oolong tea is a mix actually in and of itself of fermented black and green tea and it makes a really spectacular kombucha and is sort of what traditionally kombucha was made with for hundreds of years was made using oolong so it's a good balance of black and oolong and that in and of itself kind of is a really healthy mix for both the culture, but also flavor. So it's a great balance. At least I think so. <laughs> so it sounds like you're talking like uh, for the culture. So the it provides uh, different nutrients than say like maybe a cheap non-specific tea might. Definitely. So, and if folks out there are experimenting or have experimented with kombucha, you'll know that every batch varies and especially depending on the tea you use. And so what produces that really thick, healthy white culture is always going to be mostly factored in by the tea. So they love the culture really needs strong tannins to grow to that sort of size. And especially to get that thick, white, healthy look, uh, black tea is going to be the most nutritious for a kombucha culture. And you can experiment and definitely, you know, try white teas and green teas. And I like doing blends of them. But you'll probably notice after time, if you just do a green tea, your culture is going to kind of start to suffer a little bit uh, just because it's lacking some of that 
in sort of natural nutrients that it needs. Which becomes such a challenge, I think, for people probably starting out because there are things online that say only use green tea, only use black tea. And then people have to kind of figure that out on their own. And so I guess to a certain extent, that's what your your kid is providing. I mean, it's it's saying you don't have to figure anything out. Here it all is for you. Exactly. It's just taking out the guesswork entirely and leaving it up to somebody who spent a lot of time <laughs> and a lot of trial and error coming up with sort of the perfect uh, amounts and sizes and st- types of, of ingredients for a one gallon brew. So you'll know that you're getting off, you started off right. Well, and you, uh, we're both in the same area. You're right, uh, based right in Madison, uh, Wisconsin. So it's it's great. You were, you were showing me the kit. And could you talk a little bit about your, your process of figuring out this this pH strip thing? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I say this right uh, in our kit directions that I include the pH strips in the kit merely as a teaching tool. You don't need to use pH strips to brew kombucha, uh, but... I found over the time that I had been brewing and meeting and talking with just dozens of brewers that, especially in the beginning, folks are so nervous. They're so nervous that they're doing something wrong. And I still get customer service emails, you know, every day. And I love responding to them and just they'll send me pictures of their brews. And I say, no, it looks fantastic. You're doing great. But they want that assurance. And pH strips sort of allow that to happen. They allow people to just take two seconds to say, nope, my brew is in a perfectly healthy pH level that is low enough that no airborne contaminants can can harm it. And that is a pH of 4.5 or below, according to the USDA. So um, when I was in, so the beginners love it, but also experienced brewers, I found also really like using pH strips because they can use that to get to very specific levels of brews. And so I included it sort of as a, we're going to really teach you in this kit, the science behind kombucha. And you can watch that process of when they first start it, they test it. And right after you add your starter tea to the sweet tea solution, it should test somewhere around a 4.5 or below. And then in, you know, one to three weeks later, when your brew is done, it should be testing anywhere between 2.5 and 3.5. And, and that's just a good indication that your kombucha is, is reached a fermented level. And, and have you, have you heard any response about the, the strips? Are people liking those? Yeah. Ironically enough, I just got an email from a customer this morning named Joy, um, who said, you know, been brewing with her kid, love it. Uh, where can I get the pH strips? Apparently she'd uh, run out. So I, and we've had a few other customers also saying they wanted to order more. So we're thinking about putting them up on our website and having, we use a company, great company. If anybody out there has been looking for really solid, high quality U S made pH strips, they're called micro essential laboratory and they're based out of New York. And I've gone through a lot of pH strips. I've probably tested over 20 brands and they are by far the best one for sure. Yeah, because that's always the thing I think of when I think of uh, pH strips or or testing pH in general, like um, for cheeses, especially. Mm -hmm. That's where it's really challenging because I love a pH meter. But as far as I understand, um, and from people I've talked to in the industry is like, you have to spend at least 200, $250 to even get to the realm where you're going to get one that's actually going to be accurate. So with, with strips, 
I, I've just always assumed it would be even less accurate, but it sounds like this one, if out of all the ones you've tried is going to be the most accurate. Yes. And, uh, yeah, we tried a ton of different strips and they made these specifically for our company, which is really cool. They're custom made so that they are just the level of zero to six. Cause when you're testing pH, you don't need anything. Uh, it'll never be over the level of six. So they can measure by the half degree. And you don't need to be that specific with kombucha. You just need to know that when you're starting out in those first few days, when it's really important that your pH is low because you haven't, your culture hasn't grown on top yet and created that nice natural biofilm to protect it, the pH is what really protects it from contaminants and mold in the first one to four days of brewing. So as long as you can test it and make sure it's under 4.5, then, then you know you're good. You don't need to get, especially, you know, cheeses and other things, you do want to get super, super down to the 10th degree specific. But here you really only need a half to a degree of measurement and you should gather enough information from that. But I, I like that, that it's only measuring um, half of the scale because that's all you need. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. And so you have your custom tea, you have your custom pH strips, uh, and then you have awesome custom packaging as well. I mean, could you talk a little bit about your... your- the aesthetic of your, your kit. Yeah. So if anybody goes out there and checks it out, I uh, worked with two really wonderful young designers. They're actually, they were students at the time, uh, Anna and Kate, and they uh, were out of Seattle and I found them online and I just fell in love with their style. And it was exactly what I was imagining for the kit because when I started out, I kind of surveyed the kombucha companies out there and noticed that they were really tailoring their branding and their packaging, everything, their websites, their style towards people like you and I who loved <laughs> fermenting at home, home brewing, DIY, people who sort of had that natural instinct. And they were really tailoring themselves to that and trying to attract that niche. And I wanted to go after folks who may be brewing kombucha or making kombucha kimchi or brewing beer at home was not a natural thing for them. And I wanted to sort of reach out to them and make the branding speak to a wider audience. Somebody who, you know, maybe shops at Whole Foods and buys kombucha, but would never think that they could do it. But if I branded it just right, that it seemed like something, oh, this is like a totally normal (laughs) product and something that I can do. And so that was sort of where we started from. And I think they just brought that life really well. Yeah, because I would say when I initially see it, the the differentiating thing is that kombucha generally is something that's a little weird for people Mm -hmm. that aren't familiar with it. And it's also something that, you know, stereotypically, uh, nothing wrong with hippies, but it's like kind of like a hippie drink, kind of just uh, this this natural granola kind of thing to do. Yeah. But you're kind of like you said, bringing it out to people that that otherwise aren't interested in doing things that are so out of the norm. Like this does look like it's it belongs on the shelf of of a grocery store, like a Whole Foods or something like that. Like you could just pick it up off the shelf and get tricked into making something that is a little weird. <laughs> exactly, and I've done that with a surprising amount of people. It's so funny. I'll have my fiance, his mom Susan, would never in a million years have even known what kombucha is. Like you're. And, and when I told them I was starting this company and I showed them the, the kit, she was like, oh my gosh, that's so cute. <laughs> well, 
and uh, was excited to buy one and shared it with all of our friends. And I thought, okay, I might be onto something here. Exactly. So that is the that's the main differentiating factor. And so there, I, I mean, I think that a person can go somewhere like Amazon even now and like find just like a SCOBY, but that's not what you're selling. You're selling an entire experience almost it's in a cheesy way of marketing way of saying it. Yeah. It's, it's more of an educational experience and that kind of comes from my background as an educator and I wanted to have it be this holistic approach and you can definitely just buy our cultures on the website. Uh, I mean, our cultures are so phenomenal. I didn't want people not to be able to just buy those. But, uh, and they're made by Nasala Kombucha, which is also based here in Madison. They grow all of our, our cultures and they are so wonderful. And <laughs> I just, they are, yeah, they're two really lovely women and they make beautiful kombucha scobies. So I'm excited to have been partnering with them. But, um, yeah, you can buy just the culture on our website. I wanted it to be a larger experience, though, and also one that you didn't have to waste time going. When I first started brewing, I was going all over the place looking for supplies and information and wasted precious time that I could have been drinking kombucha. <laughs> uh, exactly. and Yeah, I mean, if I think about it, I mean, you, you do have the full package. So when someone even, even if someone isn't just trying to sift through all the information online about kombucha, maybe they, they're like, they've gotten one of the, the growing number of books on kombucha. Even still, you have to then go select all those things yourselves, which, you know, like for someone like myself, like I'm so used to doing that kind of stuff. It doesn't, doesn't bother me, but there, there's a whole subset of people that would be interested in trying to do something like this if it's just handed to them. And so what has been the response from uh, from both uh, customers and retailers? It's been really positive. I think everyone who starts a company, you set out with just these grandiose, really high ideas of how you know fast your business is going to take off. And, and you need that because being an entrepreneur, you do need to be sort of delusional, <laughs> but at least to get yourself started and off the ground. But I've been so thankful and just really grateful that the response has been fantastic. I want to say we're in just shy of 30 brick and mortar retailers now. And almost all of those I have not personally reached out to or like really worked hard to get. Uh, working in the food space is very difficult. And I've had uh, a surprisingly positive response from store buyers and store owners and people who are just really excited to get it in their store because they see it as something really unique for their customers, which has been cool. And hearing that feedback has been really awesome. Um, so both in the wholesale route has been really great, but online has been really where the business has grown uh, leaps and bounds. And interestingly enough, where most of that growth has come has been from Amazon, which has surprised me a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess, makes sense because a lot of people go and if they want something new, they search for um, it on Amazon. And so that now they're able to see yours versus like the, I haven't looked for a long time, but I can just imagine uh, because looking at some other cultures like water uh, kefir and other things like, you know, they're not necessarily nicely taken photos, but it doesn't matter to a lot of people. They just, they just want to get the stuff, the culture, but like, so you have that compared to your nicely prepared kit uh, with nice photography. So I have to only assume that like, if someone's choosing between the two, um, unless like they're, they don't care about the kit, they just want the the SCOBY or whatnot, then they would definitely go with yours. So I guess it totally makes sense that that's where your growth's at. 
Yeah, and I guess I just didn't realize. I knew how big Amazon was, but I didn't think people would be going on Amazon and searching for kombucha supplies. To me, that just seemed like it didn't fit at all. But I think it's a really good example of kind of just how mainstream kombucha is going in that you've got your everyday Amazon shoppers are on there uh, looking for kombucha scobies. So it's pretty cool. And if this isn't too nosy and business related stuff, I, is is it with Amazon, are you doing it, say, like the, the third party seller kind of thing? Or is Amazon actually buying these and sending them out? So the way that Amazon works is uh, you can do two routes of selling. So you can do merchant fulfilled, which is sort of how you explain it as the seller fulfilled. That would mean it's on the Amazon platform, but I'm doing all of the fulfillment and distribution. So you order it and then I ship it straight from my brewery or you can do Amazon fulfilled. So which means that you ship all of your products to Amazon and then they ship them from their distribution centers all across the country. And so normally uh, I actually do uh, the FBA, which is the fulfillment by Amazon because everyone loves Amazon Prime. It's pretty crazy. Simply having that ability for people to have two-day shipping has exploded uh, our the number of units we're moving. So I just we ran out of inventory last week. Had a, I don't know if there was a, some kombucha articles out or we had a, a huge spike in impressions and searches and ran out of inventory. And so we have been fulfilling them back from the brewery. I mean, either way. We're, they're shipping, we're shipping them from our brewery either just to Amazon and Amazon ships it. So they are basically a middleman, if that makes sense. Yeah, the middleman with the, the, the cheap shipping. Exactly. Uh, and, and it makes sense in that way. So how are you dealing with, I, I know in the retail space, you, you, you are, say, if it's at the grocery store, you explained to me that it's like a little postcard where people then will actually get their SCOBY sent to them since... They don't know how long it's going to sit on the shelf. Is it that same way for when they order direct from Amazon? Will you then send the SCOBY separate or does Amazon hold those SCOBYs? Actually, so we started out, yeah, doing our, our brick and mortar style where each kit included basically this unique code that you would redeem on our website and we would ship the culture separate. But we were moving, the inventory was moving so fast that it literally, it made no sense at all to be shipping them separately because they were we would ship them to Amazon and they'd be gone within a week. We So right now, if you were to go online on Amazon, it would come with the SCOBY, which is really cool because uh, you're basically able to order a kit and within two days, if you do you know two-day prime, um, you have a, a fresh SCOBY and a kit sitting on your kitchen counter, which is really cool. Over the holidays, I think we're going to move back to including... The, the promo code simply because so many people want to purchase them as gifts. And I think that'll just lead to a lot less, you know, people opening a Christmas <laughs> gift uh, on Christmas morning or Hanukkah or what have you. And, you know, there's a, a big stinky scoby in there that's been sitting for five or six weeks. Not happy that it's not in tea. <laughs> I really like though, that you're taking something like kombucha, which isn't is arguably not one of the longest kind of ferments out there, but it takes time. It requires patience and you're offering it in like an impulsive, um, by like instant gratification way of like receiving it. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit, um, of a oxymoron, I suppose, but, uh, yeah, American shoppers were just used to, we want it now. And 
I've been shocked. Sometimes I'll, I'll, it was a few months ago, we had gotten slammed at the warehouse. We were doing a, a couple sales in different places and we were back ordered. And a gentleman emailed me and was like, you know, I ordered my kit four days ago and it has not arrived yet. <laughs> and it was just so angry. And we don't promise on our website, we don't promise uh, any length of shipping. We usually have a pretty spectacular turnaround that actually matches Amazon uh, simply because we've gotten really efficient. But at the time, you know, it was a crazy week. And it was so funny. I just wanted to email him and say, you know, it's going to be a lot longer before your kombucha is ready once you start brewing. So you may want to work on your patience. But, of course, I just said, no worries. It's already in the mail. It should be there tomorrow. But it was pretty funny. <laughs> it's, it's like American driving, uh, speeding to the red light to wait. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, let's actually, since we are talking about uh, shipping, what's that like shipping glass? And what can go wrong? Oh, everything. <laughs> Anything that you can imagine shipping a kombucha kit um, and then some can go wrong. Uh, we've gotten really good over the year of weeding out problems. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're shipping glass, if anyone has ever been silly enough to try and do it, <laughs> you're, you're going to have breakage. It's just part of the business. And luckily, we've gotten it down to, you know, less than 1%. And so I feel pretty good about that. Uh, but early on in the business, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. Every day was a learning experience. And so we had started out in the wintertime last year. And so not only were we not amply packaging them, or thoroughly packaging them enough to protect from breakage, I would have assumed, you know, we were doing one and a half inch bubble wrap and we're doing craft paper packing and we're putting them inside two boxes and still somehow they were managing to break, um, but now we've just we've created a, a better packing system and we kind of leaving it up to Amazon for a lot of our shipments helps too because they are just super packers and uh have mastered that. So the bigger issue, as many of your uh listeners can probably guess, is keeping a kombucha culture that is alive. It's a living, breathing uh thing. You know, keeping that alive during shipment, during temperature changes has been probably the biggest challenge. How do you how do you measure that? Because you have a customer that doesn't necessarily know anything about kombucha. And uh, what do they they say? This this scoby looks weird. Like, how, how are people able to measure that? It's not. Yeah, it's a little difficult. And the thing is, in a way, it's, it's hard to I say it's hard to keep it alive. But kombucha cultures are incredibly resilient. Anybody that's that's brewed kombucha before. Yeah, you're nervous in the beginning to handle it. But after a few weeks or a few months, you realize they are really tough <laughs> little creatures. And you you know, you can tear them, you can rip them in half, you can leave them out of tea for weeks and they will still survive. And so I have to kind of assure uh customers when it comes in the mail, you know, they're like, it was in uh, my mailbox for a few days. It's, it's still okay. And really, as long as it didn't go above the t the times when we struggle with with the cultures is the dead heat of summer in shipping to southern states. You know, New Mexico, Arizona, places in the south, even places in Southern California. That is tough for us. So we we ship them with ice packs because um, kombucha cultures don't like to be over. Really, they don't like to be over 90 degrees. You can push it to 100 for a short amount of time. Uh, 
but you can imagine sitting in a <laughs> a hot UPS truck. Those things are like ovens in in Phoenix, Arizona in August. That's going to be one unhappy kombucha culture. So, uh, it, you know, we we sort of just warn customers during that those times, and it's really it's like six weeks in the summer to, to particular regions, and in the winter time we can struggle a little bit uh, with shipping in in freezing temperatures. The cultures actually, even if they are frozen, say a culture arrived to you solid as a rock, it is probably ninety percent likely once it reaches back to room temperature, it's probably going to be okay because it wouldn't have been frozen for that long. It didn't go into a deep freeze or anything. It probably was just, you know, within 24 hours sitting in a, a cold uh, post office truck. So more often than not, we've done a lot of experiments with freezing cultures and almost always they come back. So we feel pretty confident shipping them. Uh, the bigger issue is that when you freeze plastic, which is what the cultures come in, uh, plastic has a tendency to just break and it loses that adhesive. So usually our bigger issue is not the health of the culture, but opening your, your kit or your box and having a, a leaky uh, culture that's come out of its bag, which is not fun to open. No, and that's like goes against like everything about this beautiful package you have. Yeah. And then it's just like falling apart. Definitely had a few emails or they open it up to a big oozy stinky mess and don't spare any details, uh, which is always funny and really humbling and saddening. So we apologize usually pretty profusely to those customers, but there, that is very rare when that happens. So, well, what is like, so customer response, customer support, how much of your time is spent doing support emails for people versus the actual packaging and other work you do? Um, it's actually become uh, rather infrequent when we first started uh, we would get tons and tons of emails. And what I realized is that I just wasn't putting enough information out there for our customers to be able to go and learn on their own and not have to email. So we've recently put up a brewing Q&A portion on our website. And I apologize in advance if anybody goes on there. It's very text heavy right now. Uh, we've just been so busy with prepping for the holidays. I wanted to go back and, and make it a little more reader friendly. But essentially, it's like every question you could ever want uh, to ask and answers you would want to those uh, on that page, just about brewing kombucha and about kombucha cultures. And ever since we've put that up and created even more thorough directions that have sort of these details about taking care of your culture and, oh, does this look weird? Is this normal? I Once I started just putting as much info out there as I could, our emails really uh, dropped. And so we don't really get that many and enjoyably a lot of them are just nice emails of people emailing to thank us, which is always fun. Yeah. It's gotta be uh, rewarding to hear that. I mean, I think that to a certain extent, say like my only experience with it, say um, people writing in for the podcast or workshops I do, it's, it's still not the same as like, I feel that when people purchase a product, um, and I guess I could say the same about about workshops, but it's something different. When people purchase a product, it seems like they're they're more likely to um, to write in if um, they either really appreciate it or they're really upset about it. Um, yeah. It just seems like you're just like a target for emails, which is a great thing, and it sounds like it's a great thing too because you're not getting a lot of uh, troubled emails anymore. So that's awesome. Right. Yeah, it's so funny. People 
very few people will ever contact a business for just a pretty good experience, <laughs> which as a business owner or as, as you know, some of you, you, you run this amazing podcast and you sometimes would just rather hear, from, I guess no news is good news is sort of what I <laughs> have come to think because as long as I'm, I'm not hearing negative things from customers and we just kind of have to assume, well, uh, it's going well. And then, you know, get, but getting those, those emails from people who, and it's, and it's been so wonderful. Everyone in the sort of kombucha community, as I would call it, uh, is just very gracious, wonderful people. And we've, and had just really nice responses from people saying, you know, my whole family has loved so much brewing your kombucha. You, you're saving us literally a hundred dollars a month on buying it at the store and, and stuff like that. It's just always so fun to get. And I think that that is kind of a thing, like a perspective um, for people that say haven't drank kombucha and they want to get into kombucha. Like, um, you know, they might get a little bit of a sticker shock with uh, the kit price, but for people that have been drinking kombucha from the store, there's a huge savings like you're talking about. Um, and so like it definitely pays for itself. Oh yeah. <laughs> do you find that uh, with your, do you get many repeat customers or is it pretty much they come once and then that's it because they have their kit? You know, it's been interesting. Uh, we get a lot of customers who, you know, they might buy the kit and they'll come back and buy the bottles is pretty common because people will for a while and just like, just like I did in my first six months or so brewing in terms of the bodily, the bottles you choose, you sort of just make it work with whatever you have. Cause you don't want to go, you, people don't want to go out and buy, have to buy more stuff. Uh, but it's never quite as good as a swing top bottle. So I used to use all my old kombucha bottles from the store and would just fill my homebrew in those and cap them and put them in the cupboard. And I had picked up a tip, and I share this with my customers a lot. If you are using old store-bought bottles, putting a little piece, a little square piece of parchment paper under the lid, that can help create more of an airtight seal. Uh, but it'll never be as airtight as a swing top bottle can produce. So eventually people who keep up brewing, they come back and buy the bottles uh, to be able to have those. Um, so people come back and buy that, or oftentimes we've had people come back and buy more tea. We've had seen a pretty big uptick in repeat tea purchases lately. Uh, but also uh, people wanting to buy gifts for their friends. So they had this really fun experience, and then they'll come back and buy a gift kit, uh, especially this time of year. We've been had, seeing an increase of that. Yeah, and I would say that anyone listening to the show today that is – uh, maybe already making kombucha themselves, and and you know it's it's always great to gift people scobies, but you know especially holiday holiday time, maybe you want to like have something that can be packaged a little bit, um, a little bit nicer. Yeah, this I think that's when I when I see this kit, I think gift it it makes a great gift to to get, especially if you're trying to evangelize this kind of fermentation weird stuff. Again, it's about tricking people. You can trick. <laughs> They, they can enjoy this um, and open up a really nice nice box. And I mean, you've got your your stamp on the uh, the actual gallon um, jar and everything. So it's like you've got a at least from the sounds of it, it's like something that like it's a brand that people are starting to trust, and they're they're coming back to you for the tea. Which you know, I mean, ar arguably they could go somewhere else for the tea, but they come back to you because they they've had success and they enjoy it. So that's that seems to be a good sign. Oh yeah, it's so it's been so wonderful when people come back and buy that because a it means 
that their kombucha root turned out delicious and they want to, they want to replicate that same process. Uh, but also, yeah, that they're just, they're starting to feel a part of sort of this, what we call the TKS family a little bit. And we've had a few different folks who are sort of, you know, they're still in that beginning phase that maybe they've only brewed a couple times and they're still in that phase where they don't want to screw it up. We get a lot of people who are just like, I don't want to mess this up. Uh, what tea should I be using? Uh, or they did mess it up. And I had a woman a few weeks ago, or maybe it was in September, who emailed and she's like, I'm so confused. I brewed the first time and it was perfect. It was everything I ever wanted in my homebrew kombucha. Uh, and then I followed the directions exactly for the second one. And I ended up with mold all over the top and my scoby is totally ruined. And we had to troubleshoot with her a little bit, and it turned out that she actually used uh, a non-caffeinated, uh, like a, I don't even remember what it was, some kind of an herbal non-caffeinated tea. She'd missed it in the directions that you've got to use a caffeinated tea. And so she said, you know, from now on, I'm just going to purchase your tea so I don't have to worry about it. Hey, yeah, that, that's definitely a good thing that people can just not even have to be concerned at all because yeah there are a lot of things that especially like herbal teas some people don't i mean that's not really tea technically i mean we call it tea we call it tea but it's not actually tea that's that's one of the more difficult things to communicate to people is the importance of you've got to use a black green oolong or white tea it's got to be something with caffeine in it because that is what that's the energy source for the kombucha culture and it simply will not survive. It won't brew without that caffeine. And so uh, it's, yeah, but people are like, but I love my pomegranate um, <laughs> rose infused herbal tea. And I think, but it doesn't work. Yeah. Do you get much into, because your kit doesn't do anything with flavoring. Do you get much into education on the site or plans in the future for second fermentation flavorings or otherwise? Yeah. I mean, Ala, uh, from Ala Shapiro from Nasala, we've chit-chatted uh, kind of recently about, you know, should I be breaking out into other flavored teas? And I think in 2015, we might try that a little bit, but we've noticed it's really hard with homebrewing to add in flavors at the tea level. Super easy, you know, to be doing it during bottling, adding your chopped mango or raspberries or ginger in with your bottles, but mixing tea with flavors in with your kombucha culture uh, it's really risky at first uh, because you don't know how it's going to react. You don't know the oiliness level of the teas you're dealing with. And sometimes the culture just rejects it. And so uh, I've I've been hesitant to add in a flavored tea simply because uh, I know it'll complicate matters for the home brewers. And so I kind of just wanted to be at a point when I'm ready to sort of deal with that uh, influx in education around adding a variety of teas like that. Well, and it sounds like too, maybe, maybe the, the key will be to start with, with one that like, you know, is like the least the chance least likely of screwing to people problems. up. Yeah. Well, I guess, um, kind of switching gears just a, just a little bit, like, do you, uh, for this fermentation business, say there's someone else listening that maybe wants to do, like they have some kind of fermented idea like this. Um, you know, obviously probably not competing against you with your kombucha cultures, but like say they want to do some other kind of cultures or they want to do some kind of other fermented food business. Do you have any words of, of wisdom now that you've been through this like a year plus and, and, uh, have made it through the rough side? Yeah, part of me wants to say, don't do it. Okay. <laughs> um, which I think that is 
a lot of entrepreneurs who are just getting through that sort of grind and hustle phase. Uh, you know, if you asked me again in a year, I'd probably say, you know, call me up, let's talk business. Um, but no, it definitely, if you've got an idea and you're super excited about it, go for it. And don't let competitors, don't let me or anyone else sort of stand in the way. One of the most common things people said to me last year when I said, hey, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to start this kombucha kit company. Uh, my friends who are kombucha brewers, they all said, Kate, that already exists. Brooklyn Kombucha is already doing that. Or the Get Kombucha guy, um, there were there was already a lot of companies doing this. And I just said, hey, you know, if <laughs> everyone stopped after uh, Ford trucks existed and said, oh, well, Ford is already making uh, trucks, so we can't make trucks, <laughs> or any other company uh, let competition stand in the way, then we would have a much less exciting marketplace. And I also think less quality goods because competition forces companies to be better and always keep innovating. And so don't let other people say, oh, that idea has already been done before. Um, so that'd be my first piece of advice. I was just going to say, do you, do you have to uh, say for yourself, did you have to go into it um, blindly just assuming that this one was going to be the best or do you like, do you have times when it's like, well, since there are all these other ones, even though I know that the like, competition is good and, and I know I'm offering something good did you ever just like have to second guess it all? Or were you just like, do you just, in order to be that entrepreneurial spirit, like you just have to go forward, barrel through without questioning? Uh, you have to, I think you've got to be smart. You do have to be determined in some ways. I did kind of put my head down, but I set out to create the best kombucha kit that, that didn't exist yet because I looked at other companies, um, you know, not going to name names, but the, the person who was sort of the head honcho in the kombucha kit world, if that existed, uh, I thought their kit was totally mediocre. Uh, it only, you know, it didn't have a temperature gauge. It didn't have pH strips, and it didn't even include a high quality loose leaf tea. It was bagged teas that you could get just, you know, at any grocery store that uh, probably cost them ten cents a bag to throw into this kit. And and it was a half gallon at the time. And I was thinking, you know, kombucha brewing, especially in the beginning, before it becomes to you sort of second nature, it takes time. It takes thought. And I would never spend the amount of time it takes to brew kombucha, even if that is only 20 minutes, uh, to only brew a half gallon. To me, that seemed kind of a waste. So I basically looked at what was out there and thought, what are the things that I would do to change this? Um, and so I bulked up my kit quite a bit over any other kit that's out there. And, um, and then also, you know, wanted to change up the branding style and stuff of what had been out there. So in a way you kind of have to just push forward, but you really take it as a time to research your competition and see what else is out there and how can you add value and how can you sort of set yourself apart? Well, Hey, I think that, uh, I mean, we didn't even get time to really talk about like any other kind of fermentation stuff you, you do, but I think that that's really just a, a great place to close. I think people should be excited about this. Go out to get these things for gifts. Um, and <laughs> where should people go to find, to find out more about you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, the uh, is our website. So you can go check us out on there, but you can also buy the kit, uh, as we were talking about on Amazon. It's also available on Abe's market. If anybody, uh, like loves that marketplace, we're still on Abe's and we're also on Etsy. Uh, so you can find us any of those places. And do you do any of the uh, social media stuff to keep people, customers updated on stuff or anything? 
Definitely. Yeah. So I've got a few people helping on our social media. So check us out on Instagram. We've got a fun Instagram and we love it when people tag us. So just, uh, we're at the kombucha shop on Instagram, on Twitter, and we're on Facebook and we're on Pinterest, but not super active, but Instagram and Twitter, uh, if you want to contact us, is definitely the fastest way. And I'll make sure that all of those links are in the show notes and you'll find those at firmup.com slash podcast slash 90. Do you have any any closing words of wisdom for those that are either already kombucha brewers or are going to start the quest? (laughs) Uh, I would say it's going to be winter soon. So that changes your kombucha brewing. So just be mindful of the temperature and try and keep your culture as warm as possible because the warmer it is, the happier it is. And enjoy the brew. Awesome. Well, thanks thanks again for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much, Brandon. So again, those show notes will be at firmup.com slash podcast slash 90. And you can get in contact with us as well at firmup on Twitter, at firmup on Facebook, or anywhere else at firmup. And until next time, Firm up.